2: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates national average 12-month savings of 744 dollars by new customers surveyed who saved with progressive between june 2022 and may 2023 potential savings will vary discounts not available in all states and situations
1: down to a minute 33 to play third and five for the falcons shotgun for rosen two receivers left looking to his left, Rosen,
0: intercepted, picked off, Van Noy, still going to the 10, to the 5, he gets pushed from behind, touchdown, the Patriots get a bonus, Kyle Van Noy, the pick
1: 6.
2: Well, Josh Rosen always wanted to play for the Patriots. He got to feel like he was playing for the Patriots last night by throwing a pass to a wide-open member of the Patriots' defense. Long night for the Falcons. Easy night for the Patriots. A couple of hours to talk about that and everything else happening as Week 11 is upon us. Peter King, Mike Florio, it's PFT Live, Peacock, NBCSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and Ireland. Enjoying the program on Sky and... Whoever's listening on podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, good morning, Peter. How
0: are you? Good morning, Mike. I want to open today with an "I'm just saying" segment of Pro Football Talk Live. Okay, you ready? Here I am ready. The I'm just saying. Here's the "I'm just saying" segment. Okay, the New England Patriots in the last five games are five and zero, oh, and they've won those games by an average of thirty-five to ten. The Buffalo Bills in the last five games are 3-2, and two, and the average score in those games is Bills 29, Foes 18. I'm just saying that the two games that the Bills and the Patriots play in a 21-day span from December 6 to December 26 are going to be must-see TV. And whereas we all had ceded the AFC East to the Buffalo Bills before this season, we can no longer do that. And to me, that is the impact of what we saw Thursday night.
2: 17 days away from round one of Bills and Patriots on Monday Night Football. Before then, the Patriots have the Tennessee Titans, a prime opportunity to convince anyone who doesn't already believe that Bill Belichick and company are crafting a team that's a potential powerhouse, a real threat in January. I said a couple of weeks ago, if they get to January, no one's going to want to play them. I think we can start scratching out the if now that they're 7-4, and four. and like you said, that run of 150-50 to 50 over a five-game stretch, they are becoming dominant. Last night's game was the crowning achievement. Now they pivot to one of the best teams in the league, currently number one on the PFT power rankings, which obviously mean absolutely nothing. The Texans play the Titans this weekend. The Titans undoubtedly will get the victory, setting up. Those two games, back-to-back, for the Patriots to show that they really are a team that's going to be in the mix in January. And you get Bill Belichick in single uh, single elimination, Peter. I'd, I'd bet on him as quickly as I'd bet on anyone else, especially with everything as compressed as it is this year.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Mike... One of the things that that I would tell you is that you've written about it. It's been written about a lot of places. The fact is that home field advantage in the National Football League, I'm not saying it's disappeared, but it has really gone down in significance. And right now, even if the Patriots are, let's say, the fifth seed uh, in the tournament and have to go on the road... What did Tampa Bay do last year? What have the Giants done a couple of times, uh, you know, in this century? I mean, it, it isn't what it used to be in the NFL, where, you, you know, the home field was everything. It's really not everything anymore. And, you know, the one other thing I would say just about the AFC right now is that I think there are three or four teams that are truly in flux to the point that we really don't know who they are as we sit here on November 19th. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are in flux. They could go on a run now that their defense has woken up and uh, they played at least one game significantly more efficiently on offense. I think the Buffalo Bills are in flux. We don't really know about the Buffalo Bills now, and they got the benefit last week of of playing a horrible team, the Jets. But obviously the Patriots have gotten the benefit of that twice already this year. And the one other thing... I don't think Tennessee's in flux. I think they're going to be tough with or without Derrick Henry. But the one other team that really fascinates me is Baltimore. Because I think Baltimore is really, really good. But they go as much as any of these other teams. They go as their quarterback goes. And... It, you know, Right now, I think they've got to get a very consistent and explosive Lamar Jackson for the rest of the way to have a good chance at home field in the playoffs.
2: This is a season that I think underscores and highlights and puts in all caps the adage of any given Sunday because not only can any other team beat you any given Sunday, any given Sunday a team that had been good for an extended stretch can somehow Fall off, whether it's matchup, whether it's coaching, whether it's just stuff happens. We've seen that just because a team is playing well, it's subject to change at any time, with or without notice. It just happens, and that's what has me applying a caveat to my usual belief that somebody's going to get hot late November, early December, and carry it all the way to the postseason. Because anybody who gets hot, always it just, happens but 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 it can end very quickly because we've seen these teams that are hot the the plug gets pulled quickly and you you have that happen in January one bad day in January and you're done you you're, you can overcome a bad day in October, November, December if your records otherwise good enough but you know what happened to the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago what we've seen happen to some of these teams that we thought were good like the Bills scoring 6 points in Jacksonville it's going to make the playoffs more fascinating because the uncertainty is going to be greater than ever as you said the home field advantage has dissipated look at the patriots they're two and four at home and five and oh on the road you can't really believe in anyone at home even the packers i mean i think there is a sense that if the packers are playing at home and it's not the buccaneers but it team like the rams or the cardinals or the cowboys they have a real edge but other than that there is no edge there is no advantage i don't know if last year with no fans in the stadium, taught teams how to play on the road. But I don't know. But we've seen this weird swinging of the pendulum away from home field advantage, and it defies all logic and all dynamics of being the team that's at home that has a stadium full of loud fans that are a plus for you and a negative for the the opposing team.
0: Mike, I I go back to last year when... Uh, A year ago, right about this time, I I don't think there would have been many people, if any, who would have said, yep, the Bucs got a great chance to go to the Super Bowl this year, never mind win it. They were in the midst of a stretch in November where they lost three out of four, and all three losses were at home. They got creamed by the Saints and nipped by Tennessee and the Rams. And when that happened... I think everybody said, well, you know, Brady had a good run. Uh, He's put up some good numbers, but uh, this is the adjustment year. Maybe next year. But it just goes to show you that there's plenty of time for some team out there to get hot. To get healthy and to get hot. We just don't know who it's going to be this year. I think we could make arguments. Logically, we could make arguments for 10 teams. And we'd be leaving out traditional powers, you know, like uh, Pittsburgh. I, I, I'm, I think we probably would leave out among those ten teams that could take that could make a run. The reason why that might be a mistake is that if healthy, that defense can win games the same way that New England's defense can win games. But I think we are set up to have, I think, an incredible home stretch. Of the last eight weeks of the regular season,
2: but that is a great reminder that a team can turn it around, and we won't really know it until it's happening and until it sustains itself. And we're going to be saying, "Well, look, look," and, it, and it's it's probably going to best be observed in in hindsight because of this possibility that things can and will change very quickly, and all it takes is one game, and the balloon gets popped. And, you know, the the Patriots could be the one in nine days whose balloon gets popped by the Tennessee Titans. Although I think it really would be fitting. I said this yesterday. If the Patriots can beat Tennessee, it's kind of like the the unofficial launch of Patriots 2.0 because it was Tennessee (laughs) at New England in the playoffs a couple of years ago that ended Patriots 1.0. And that made it clear that they had to rebuild, they had to reload, they had to reshuffle, and they've done all of those things. Sims is a believer that we're seeing 2001 all over again, where Bill Belichick has found a team that performs the way he wants it to, a defense that's sufficiently versatile to counter any offensive style or system that they may face. And then an offense that is based on the run and has a quarterback who's a robot. He's a robot just like Brady was early in his career just does what he's told what are you going to do does what he's told he's programmed to go do this and it and he, he he moves like it he looks like it like somebody's on the sideline they used to have joysticks now they have controllers but somebody's controlling him remotely to do exactly what Josh McDaniels wants him to do
0: mike in in 2001 and here you'll see Mac Jones make a lot of pretty throws i assume but in 2001, let me just remind everybody, that was his best play of the night, by the way. deron Harmon, untouched, coming right up the barrel, and he converts a third down right there with the pass to Jacoby Myers. Now that tells you about everything you need to know about this quarterback, about Mac Jones. But let me just get back to one thing about 2001. The Patriots that year, and I'm going to be wrong on the numbers a little bit, but they signed 17, uh, under, uh, 17 unrestricted free agents that year for a total of about $23 million. They didn't have cap money. They didn't have any money to spend to go out and really hit the market. So they basically signed guys, you know, a bunch of guys like Antoine Smith and Otis Smith and... And, and a bunch of guys who ended up being a con- contributors on their uh, 2001, their first Super Bowl team. But this is a little bit different this year, but the one thing that you notice, okay, they jettisoned Stefan Gilmore rather than pay him whatever it would have been to end up, to, to keep him. but somewhere in the range of 10 million or so a year. okay because Belichick had this thought. I've got a really good secondary, and I've got a really good defense. I'm okay. What I want to do now is I want to have the freedom right now to be able to keep a lot of these free agents we signed, the two tight ends, and not just make them be you know, one or two and done. You know, He wants to keep those guys. And I think that was the whole idea with the rebuilding of the team this offseason don't just go out and make a couple of explosive signings and think, okay, after a year or two, we'll get rid of these guys. John Smith and Hunter Henry, Belichick really hopes, and the Patriots hope, can be four, five, six-year players in New England as sort of a core to what the Patriots used to do with the tight end position when they had Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez both in their primes. But overall... This is a lot like it, just like what Chris Simms says. It's a lot like the old days where they have a lot of players who don't make a lot of money, but who are climbing the ladder and who are really good at their position. And
2: initially, it was the defense that drove the bus for the Patriots team that won three Super Bowls in four years from 2001 through 2004. Let's hear from Bill Belichick and a couple of his current defensive stars on last night's shutout, the 13th that Belichick has had as coach of the Patriots. I think we, you know, these guys play well together. Um, we use a lot of different personnel groupings. They, they communicate well together and play with good, good communication and, and um, anticipation.
1: I don't want to brag too much, but I feel like we got, we got one of the best defense in, in, in the league right now. I mean, it, this, this is a big game. I mean, I'm like defense played outstanding. Like I can't even describe. Like, but we got to keep keep it up. It's, it's gonna get scary. It's gonna be scary.
3: You no, know, we uh we kind of want to be a holes on the field, with good guys off the field, and make sure we don't get penalized. Uh, we play uh, within the rules. Uh, but you know, we we a nasty group. So uh, that's, that's how we like to play, and uh, that's how we got to play in order for our team to win, and uh, we enjoy it.
2: That was J.C. Jackson first, and then Matthew Judon. Get to know those guys if you don't already. We know Judon from his time with the Ravens. He ended up being a great signing by the Patriots. J.C. Jackson, a guy who's going to command a big contract and or a tough decision by the Patriots after the season. But this defense has gotten better and better, and they're just going about their business and you know what happens Peter we write narratives in September and we assume those narratives are going to hold and the narrative on the Patriots was oh well nice try oh well oh well it's gonna take a while oh well no playoffs for you this year oh well can't win a game at home oh well tried to beat Tommy and you came up short that was kind of the moment everything changed for the Patriots losing that game they've they've been unstoppable since then other than the loss to the Cowboys that they should have won and they took them toe to toe could have won did everything they could to, to outscore a team that was better at the time I don't know how much better it is now but th- this is Bill Belichick this is why he's one of the greatest of all time and this is why we need to have them at the very center of those teams that we think could get hot or stay hot and carry it all the way into February.
0: You know, a few other thoughts about just the Patriots after watching them last night, Mike. Number one, you know, I've often thought that Belichick's got a good shot to pass Don Shula. He's got to coach maybe four more years. Um, And I now think, barring some health problem, He's definitely going to pass Don Shula, um, and he'll be the winningest coach of all time. That's one thing, and I think the the one other thing about about this should be an eternal verity among agents and among college quarterbacks. Okay, and and you know, I know this is going to sound uh, illogical. Okay, but. I think if there's any way a quarterback can attempt to do this, okay. however he tries to do it, whether it be maybe by being, as Matt Juden said, a little bit of an a-hole in the pre-draft process. Um, I, I, if I were a great quarterback, or if I were an agent for a great quarterback, I would just say, Look at what's happened in the last few years. Look at what's happened with three quarterbacks in the last few years. Number one, um, what happened to Patrick Mahomes? A team with a pick low in the first round that fell in love with him, traded up to get him. That team was not bereft of talent. That was the Kansas City Chiefs, and all they needed was a successor to Alex Smith, in Andy Reid's mind, to be great for a long time. So that is number one. Number two, Lamar Jackson. He is the fifth quarterback picked in that really good quarterback draft four years ago. And what happens after he's there or three years ago, and what happens after he's that fifth quarterback picked? He he lands in a perfect situation with the Baltimore Ravens. And then and I'm not saying that Mac Jones would not have done well in San Francisco, because I do think he would have done well. But there's no question, when he got drafted by New England, he was going to do well and was going to go to a perfect place. Not only with Bill Belichick running the program and putting a great team around him, but with an excellent play designer, schemer, and play caller in Josh McDaniels, who sat at the right hand of Tom Brady for these many years. So, just a little bit of advice... To all the big agents out there who've got these, there's a great quarterback at Pitt this year. There's great. There's a really good quarterback at North Carolina. I don't know these guys. But there's these great quarterbacks. And in my mind, I'm not saying that they can, they can force teams at the top of the draft who need a quarterback to not pick your guy. But you ought to do everything in your power to try not to get picked very high in the draft. You'll make it up on your second and third contracts. Hey, Peter, I'm glad
2: you say that because, you know, that's one of my crusades as it relates to the draft, that players should have some say, full say, frankly, in where they play. And we don't see enough power plays being made by the Eli Mannings and the John Elways of the world. And you and I know of a power play that was almost made a couple of years ago that drives certain People crazy when it gets mentioned but it does get considered the execution is the challenge because the teams hold all the cards what are you ultimately going to do sit out a full year re-enter the draft and run the risk of it happening again the only way you truly become a free agent entering the nfl is to either not be drafted at all or sit out two full years after you've been drafted but you're right. Where a quarterback starts his career, in many ways, determines not just the start, but also the finish. Look at Josh Rosen. And I'm not saying Josh Rosen would have become a star quarterback. This is one of the saddest stories I ever remember. Really. Think about but, it. But a, a top 10 pick, the Cardinals traded up to get him at number 10. And he wasn't horrible. Now, the team was bad enough that they secured the rights to the first overall pick the next year and they took Kyler Murray and they threw him overboard to the Dolphins and the Dolphins gave him a shot and they threw him overboard and now he's kind of bounced around he was on the Buccaneers practice squad last year signed with the 49ers active roster because he thought hey well I don't know what they're going to do a quarterback maybe I can learn this Kyle Shanahan system and now he's he's a backup to Matt Ryan in Atlanta and finally got a chance to play a little bit last night and it didn't go well but I don't know how different it would have been for him. We need an alternate universe to see what would have happened if some other team would have drafted him and stuck with him and developed him. But at at some point, it's not about the kid. It's about the circumstance. So you're right. And a bad circumstance to start your career can put a dark
0: cloud over a guy that never goes away. I forget if this was after either the second or third Super Bowl that he won But I talked to Tom Brady about a week after whichever game that was. And I should remember it, and I just don't. But, and I asked him, did you ever wonder what it might have been like if you got picked, if you got drafted by a bad team? You know, and I probably named some bad teams at the time. And, and he said, yeah, he said, I have thought about that. And I'll tell you, I'd probably be on my second or third team right now if I were still in the league. Because what happens if you're a sixth-round pick and you get drafted by a bad team? Who knows if you're ever going to get a chance? Here is the big myth, by the way, of the Tom Brady story. Big myth. And that is that, like in Seth Wickersham's book, which is utterly fantastic, In Seth Wickersham's book, he writes a story about how Mike Riley, then the coach of the San Diego Chargers, desperately wanted Brady. And he was working on Bobby Beathard. He thought he was going to get him. And then Beathard took another guy in the sixth round and the Patriots took him. And and, and Mike Riley was crestfallen. But here's the problem. You know, there's been stories over the years. The Giants uh, had a scout, Whitey Walsh, who really was banging the table to get Tom Brady. But, but the whole issue is. Do you know what happened in New England in 2001? Tom Brady what? was so good in training camp in 2001. That Bill Belichick w- was thinking at some point. If they didn't win that year. Of playing Tom Brady. And so he loved him. And so the whole key is to take a guy who is a firm believer in this ethos, which is, I don't care where you're drafted. You show up here and play in practice. If you're better than the other guy, you get to play. Now, every coach says that. I haven't met a lot who would have really thought seriously of benching the highest paid player in football for the 199th player picked in the draft. But Bill Belichick was thinking of that and and all i can say is all these other places that say that and and you know we can talk about josh rosen but the fact is you need a coach who believes in josh rosen and he never has had that well
2: and you also need a structure above that coach that lets the coach if he so desires throw overboard the 100 million dollar guy and go with the yeah. 199th pick in so many of these organizations even though the owners will say well, I don't I don't I don't make football decisions their fingerprints are all over the decisions <laughs> the pressure is yeah. on the coach and the GM who wants to continue to work for that owner to do what the owner wants while the owner also maintains plausible deniability whether it's blaming Johnny Manziel's drafting on a homeless guy whether it's Stephen Ross acting like he had nothing to do with Deshaun Watson until they decided not to take Deshaun Watson off the Texans' hands. And Ross is like, I decided not to do this. Well, I thought you didn't make football decisions. So you need, you need a coach that has the freedom to make that decision. And, and we saw it this year. They, not that they gave big money to Cam Newton, but they re-signed Cam Newton with the anticipation he's going to be the starter. Then they get Mac Jones and they make the assessment right before the start of the season. Number one, Mac Jones can get it done. Number two, we can't have Cam Newton hanging around, undermining Mac Jones by his very presence because Cam Newton, shocker folks, he's still got it. Just because the Patriots cut him doesn't mean he has nothing at all. We saw it last week, two touchdowns on nine snaps, but I mentioned Mac Jones. Let's hear from him about the offense right now as it stands 11 weeks into the season with a rookie at the helm who is looking like anything but a rookie.
3: You know they emptied the clip on what they were going to try and bring against us and um, they did a good job on the defensive side and we can do better on offense so we'll we'll do that and it all just starts with watching the film and it's a short week but there's no excuses Um, we can play better and we will we have a great group of guys and early on you're just trying to figure your way out with um, you know me in there and i'm trying to learn as best i can but these guys have all played tons of football and Um, i trust everybody on our offense and um, i feel like i can play better to you know help them too so they've done a great job all year staying positive and um, we all believe in each other and that's the most important part it's the best team sport there is and i think our offensive unit really has that family feel to it and um, we love each other and we play together and we play for each other so we just have to keep doing that
2: not to make too hard of a right turn here but do you wonder if odell beckham jr was watching that game last night thinking mm-hmm, uh, <laughs> they wanted me they wanted me and i didn't want them you know uh, look hey the rams may still up and end up winning the super bowl and maybe it'll be rams patriots again three years after it was in atlanta but uh they got they got something clicking on both sides of the ball they've got balance not a lot of teams have true balance not a lot of teams have the flexibility to come up with whatever game plan they need to come up with in order to to win a game, and and I guess the one challenge would be, and maybe they'll come up against a team that can do this, just just really shut down the run. Damien Harris and Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson can't do anything, and it's all got to be Mac Jones throwing the ball, and maybe that's when the Patriots, as we currently see them, cool off, but. They've got the formula, and it's the cold weather formula, the stout defense and the running game, and throwing it when you have to and sometimes when you want to. And, you know, it's the right time of year to have that
0: kind of approach
2: on both sides of the ball, Peter.
0: Hey, Mike, you know what I noticed last night, especially with these running backs? They really looked fresh last night, the Patriots running backs. This Stevenson is going to be a really good player I think for a long time and I just thought earlier this week remember Devin McCordy said to have to play Sunday and then to turn around and play Thursday it sucks or whatever however he phrased that I think that was the word he used but I remember Mike one time we were in the NBC viewing room and after a Packers game where they had to turn around and play a Thursday night game might have been at Thanksgiving, might have been just their Thursday night appointment, you know, because everybody's got one. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm one of the few guys who actually like Thursday night games. And he said, I think a lot of our players like it too, because on the back end, in the middle of the season, they get three or four days off. And, and, And he said, that is a really underrated part. If somehow you can survive that Thursday game, like, I bet Devin McCordy wakes up today and says, man, I don't have to be in now until, thir- uh, until Monday afternoon. I don't know what the Patriots are, but a lot of teams will say, okay, see you guys Monday at 1 o'clock and we'll watch the film and blah, 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 whatever. But they now have a very physical opponent, Tennessee, and they have now 10 days before that Tennessee game. And then on the other side of that, a full week before they play the Buffalo Bills. So, I don't know about you, but if I were Bill Belichick, maybe I wouldn't announce it publicly, but I'd be pretty darn happy that we had the Thursday night, that our Thursday night game this year was actually the Thursday night game before we played two of the most physical games we'd have to play all year. And... And, and and they didn't overlook
2: the opponent last night as they right. await the Titans and the Bills. And, you know, Peter, one of the things we mentioned this week that would have been very convenient and obvious for Bill Belichick to remind his players of last year on their Sunday going into a Thursday night game, they won 45 to nothing over the Chargers. 45 nothing, Even better than this year's 45-7 over the Browns. And then what happened Thursday night, the Rams ran all over them and they lost 24-3. to It was a huge, dramatic swing for the Patriots. So they just went through it last year where you have a great Sunday, short week, and you get your asses kicked on Thursday night. So that was probably a little something else that Belichick could use to keep them focused. And they haven't had their bye week either. They don't have their bye until after that Bills game. So they need this. They need this breather as they gather themselves for the Titans. And and it, it just, it sets up well. And I know that the Patriot fatigue has not subsided. <laughs> sorry, sorry. What can we do? Yeah, all we can do I is know. watch the games and and uh, see how it all plays out. But but this year, they they got it together and they are back. We probably should check the box on the Falcons if there are any Falcons fans who are actually engaging in. The consumption of media this morning after watching that debacle last night arthur smith whose team was four and four i don't know how they won four games after watching them the last two when they've been outscored 68 to three but here's arthur smith talking about what they need to do to turn things around because they're still alive for a playoff berth in the nfc here he is
3: it feels ugly right now and in this moment yeah you, you, you feel obviously pretty poor when you, when you you go, you go there. You get to four and four. You get a big win, and then
0: I've you, you, you guys all watch the last two games. So we've done it before, Josh, and it's like I told you before, it's continual improvement. You hope not to ride the roller coaster. We
3: got to fix things, and we're going to get them fixed, and we'll get them fixed in a hurry.
2: Well, that's right. They don't have much of a choice, and at least they get a mini buy of their own to try to put some pieces together. And we didn't. I didn't expect them to be contender everybody's a contender in the NFC right now except the Detroit Lions but these last two games for the Falcons they, they go a long way toward I think making members of that team realize that they got a long way to go it it hurt to not have Cordell Patterson it hurts to not have Calvin Ridley and it made it easier last night for Bill Belichick to do Peter he always does takes away what the other team does best we're going to remove Kyle Pitts and force you to go elsewhere and there's no elsewhere that this offense can go without Ridley or Patterson available to them
0: this is what I was thinking watching this game last night and watching I'll tell you what Mike you know I'm not saying necessarily that these last two games have shown that a star is born okay but this Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine University in Hickory, North Carolina, that football powerhouse, who was the Patriots' second-round pick a year ago. This bigger safety, this... You remember David Fulcher. This guy is the Patriots' David Fulcher. He's not quite as heavy as Fulcher was, but he's a bigger safety. And he has emerged as really an excellent football player and a key to that secondary. And I bring him up. Because it appeared as though the Patriots were saying to Kyle Duggar of Lenore Ryan University, "We want you to take out Kyle Pitts on the other side of the ball." You know this—the highest tight end ever picked—and he really—I—I I, I almost object to calling him a tight end. I mean, he's like, hes almost like a big slot receiver. <laughs> he's just a—he's a huge target. But anyway. Belichick can say that and he can say that in part we're going to devote energy to try to take Kyle Pitts away from everything you do and the reason he can do it is that two of the three most important offensive weapons on the Atlanta Falcons are gone one last night was gone they they hope for only one week or so and and that's Cordero Patterson Uh, and he has become the most important weapon, all-purpose weapon on their team and one of the most important all-purpose weapons in the league. And then Calvin Ridley. You know, to take away, just think you're, you're, you're Matt Ryan. A year ago at this time, you had Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, when he was healthy enough to play, and a couple of really good, lesser receivers, you know, like Gage, for instance, who I think is a really uh, a good piece. But when you're missing Ridley and you're missing Patterson, uh, you're just not going to look very good on offense it, uh, against an oppressive defense like New England. That, that's the one thing I found myself thinking. But the other thing is, I think one of the things that Arthur Smith has to get done with this team somehow some way you've got five offensive linemen on this team all of whom were picked in the top three rounds five guys and they were getting speed bumped last night by the Patriots and so that's one thing that they've got to somehow fix and get better Uh, and I don't know how you do that but that is going to be really really important if Arthur Smith wants to make this team a contender. And
2: for any team that struggles during the season, and you know that changes need to be made, it is not easy. There's only so many external options available. Internally, what can you do? Your backups are backups for a reason. It's kind of like changing the tire on a moving car, and more often than not, it doesn't work. But there will be one of those teams that changes the formula, comes up with something, finds a way to start winning football games, and confidence begets more confidence and before you know it. Not that it's going to be the Falcons this year. They're not going to be the team that fell on hard times like the Patriots a year ago and then wakes it up. But just the fact, and Peter, I love that you pointed that out, the fact that you can slump in November and still win the Super Bowl, that just keeps the dream alive for so many teams. And this year, the plausible hope extends to far more franchises – at this stage of the calendar, than I think it ever has. You can wipe out the Lions. You can wipe out the Jaguars. You can wipe out the Texans at this point. You can't really wipe out completely anyone else right now. That's Pete Rosell's dream come to fruition. And they want to continue that as long as they can into... The season and have as many teams alive as possible when week 18 rolls around all right let's go ahead and take a break now if the folks at points bet had created odds of the players most likely to be accused of having a fake vaccination card the guy who was accused of having a fake vaccination card probably would have been near the top we'll discuss the allegations against
0: at the top
2: surprise (laughs) buccaneers receiver antonio brown when pft live continues right after this
1: Or close to 100% vaccinated. We're 100% vaccinated, our entire
3: organization, all the players, all the coaches, everybody.
2: Yeah, they've been immunized. Not 100% vaccinated, according to a report from Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. This one hit yesterday afternoon. Very detailed very fascinating allegation. And yet again, Antonio Brown accused of stiffing someone to whom he owes money. And the person he stiffed this time, a live-in chef. I mean, it's happened all the time. Why does anybody do business uh. with Antonio Brown without getting money up front? COD. I'm not doing anything for you, Antonio Brown, until you pay me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work on. On credit or your word or anything other than cash up front. And then you've got a guy that you owe 10 grand to who is your live in chef who who allegedly is aware that you were trying to get a fake vaccination card and did get a fake vaccination card. Now look, this guy may be lying, it may be sour grapes, but pay your bills and you don't have to worry about this crap. That's the fundamental message. If Antonio Brown has no fault here whatsoever. Pay your bills, and then you don't have people who are motivated to make your life miserable.
0: Mike, uh, did you ever see the movie Casablanca?
2: No, but I know what line you're going to use from it.
0: Well, the line is from uh, a member of law enforcement, Claude Rains, a great character actor from 83 generations ago. And um, he shuts down Rick's Cafe, Humphrey Bogart's uh, bar in Casablanca, uh, which was uh, a gambling establishment. And when he shuts it down, he says to to Humphrey Bogart, he says to Rick, I'm shocked, shocked that there's gambling going on in this establishment. (laughs) And then a croupier comes up to him and said, here's your winning, sir. Thank you. So, you know, the whole point about this is that Antonio Brown, in a controversy about stiffing uh, a personal employee and about perhaps obtaining an illegal vaccination card. And I mean, I'm just shocked that this happened with Antonio Brown. He's such an upstanding guy.
2: Sims and I had this conversation earlier in the week about vaccination rates and infection rates. And someone said to me recently, you ever wonder why there's so many more positives among the players who are vaccinated than the non-players who are vaccinated? And the explanation was there are plenty of players who have fake vaccination cards. How hard would it be? This is not like counterfeiting a $20 bill. This is not like making a fake ID in today's environment where there are watermarks and holograms. This is a piece of paper that looks like it was cut with safety scissors that you could print Off of any printer that you could buy for 50 bucks, wherever you can find $50 printers, if they're even that expensive. It's so easy to make it now, but it isn't all that difficult. I know I'm going to let you explain it. It's not all that difficult to debunk it, but it isn't all that difficult to make it, to make something that you could look at and someone would see it and say, yeah, you got your vaccination, but go ahead.
0: Here's the thing I immediately thought of uh that is going to be easy to prove and the question is going to be does the nfl really want to find this out because if they do find this out they will have to suspend antonio brown this cannot be a fine this has to be a suspension and because you know on every vaccination card mike i went and got my booster this week in brooklyn Uh, when the state opened it up to everybody who's 65 and younger. Uh, And so I went and got it. And in the third line, because I've got the Pfizer vaccine, the first two had written the the number of the batch, okay? And also where I had it done. So in other words, there's a number and there's a place on there where I got it done. And then this third one, The batch number was written on there, and then the place where I got it done was written on there. How easy would it be for the NFL to take the the card? And I'm going to read one thing from Rick Stroud's story, because Alex Guerrero, according to the story, who was overdoing some training work or some physical therapy or something with Antonio Brown, took a picture of the vaccination card in order to send to the team trainer... ...to share with the infection control officer. And this is what Rick Stroud write, wrote. To document the list of vaccination, vaccinated players as quickly as possible... ...the Bucks would sometimes have Alex Guerrero or others in the organization... ...photograph the cards to send to head trainer Bobby Slater... ...and eventually to their infection control officer. So all of the images from these vaccination cards should be on file with the Tampa Bay infection control officer. This should not be difficult. It really shouldn't, Mike. It shouldn't be difficult for the NFL to find out whether this vaccination card is real or it's a phony. And the NFL has to find this out.
2: And the NFL says it will review the matter. Now, they won't get into details as to what they will or won't do, but... All you need to do, let's make this as clear as it can be, you get the card, you look at the place where the vaccine was obtained, you look at the lot number, you call, whether it's a pharmacy, whether it's a, a county health department, that's where I got mine yep. back in March, whatever it is, you call them up. They keep the records. Remember, anybody out there that's been vaccinated, they, they, they you, you fill out paperwork, they keep it. They, they have a record of who has and hasn't been vaccinated. It will not be difficult to show that that card that looks on the surface as plausible as McLovin's fake ID. Once you start poking around, it's going to fall apart. So that's why it's important to pay very careful attention to what the Buccaneers eventually said, because they didn't comment to Rick Stroud. But as soon as he pressed publish They had a statement ready to go. And it says this after an extensive educational process conducted throughout our organization this past offseason, highlighting the benefits of the COVID-19 vaccines. We received completed vaccination cards from all Tampa Bay Buccaneers players and submitted the required information to the NFL through the established process in accordance with league policy. Here's the kicker, Peter. All vaccination cards were reviewed by Buccaneers personnel and no irregularities were observed. That is a far cry from we confirmed that all vaccinations happened as represented in the cards. They looked at it. Nothing stood out. <clears throat> hey, whoa! it's got the name. It's got the type. It's got the place. It's got the lot number. And it's on paper. No irregularities are
0: observed. So and- I would have felt a lot better about about that, about what the Bucks said in that statement if they had said we called and checked on every one of the vaccination cards to make sure that each one of our players and staff and coach everybody we checked everyone to make sure that it was a legitimate vaccine and mike you know look i've heard the story of two people this off season One coach and one front office person who left their teams in the NFL and who, quote, retired from football. Okay. And the reason that they retired from football is because they didn't want to get the vaccine. So they walked away. Now, I just wonder, I wonder how many people basically said either, I can't afford to retire, I don't want to retire. It's worth risking whatever the risk is going to be to get a fake vaccine card. And Kalen Kaler wrote about this in, I think, August or September in Defector about there was a lot of suspicion around the league. Agents were sure it was happening. So, look, if the NFL really wants to get to the bottom of this, really wants to, they're going to have about 10 people from Lisa Friel's department or however many they can they can they can stir up to basically take and let's just talk about players to basically take 1696 vaccination cards and make a phone call about every one of them to see if the vaccinations are real
2: i agree with you completely and it all comes down to whether they truly care about the COVID protocols or whether it is just words on paper, window dressing. And we have reason to think it's just words on paper and window dressing because of the way they handled the Green Bay Packers. And look, on the range of, of offenses, what Aaron Rodgers did in lying about being vaccinated to the outside, but the team and the league knew he wasn't, even though he deliberately violated protocol multiple times, that's below what Antonio Brown or anyone else with a fake vaccination card is doing. Let's get that out there in the open and make sure everybody understands this. This is the worst thing you can do by way of COVID protocol violation because you are putting yourself in a category you don't belong in. You have one category of protocols that apply to the vaccinated, which are far less demanding. You've got the other category of very stringent protections aimed at ensuring that someone who is not vaccinated more likely to have it, more likely to be shedding high amounts of virus, isn't walking among the vaccinated without masks on and and potentially infecting other people. Oh, and Antonio Brown did get infected with COVID earlier this year. If you're using a fake vaccination card, especially when people are choosing not to work, choosing to walk away over the issue, choosing to deal with the consequences of not being vaccinated as opposed to just lying about it, that does mandate a serious punishment and it does require the NFL to prove to us that it really cares about these protocols because it wouldn't be all that difficult Peter even though the numbers are significant one at a time if you really care about it if you wake up today and say oh my god we never should have taken these guys words for it and we're gonna we're gonna make these calls it really would not be all that difficult in the grand scheme of things to make those calls
0: Mike, I'm reminded of one other thing as you were just speaking. You know, so Antonio Brown lives and works in the state of Florida, which has a governor who has no use for the coronavirus and who time and time again has illustrated his disdain for all precautions about masks and and everything else. So if you're Antonio Brown... And you are walking among, you're unmasked in the facility, walking among your guys. You're probably, probably, okay, and and obviously I've never asked Antonio Brown about this. I've never asked anybody with the Bucks about this. But aren't you more tempted to basically ignore any sort of uh, precaution of wearing a mask anywhere because... You've got a governor in your state who's saying, forget the mask, just go live your lives. And, and right now, to me, Antonio Brown, that's one of the reasons why I'd be so scared about this if I, if I were the Bucks. And if Antonio Brown reported to to work today, uh, you know, to get to, to rehab his injury, I, I, I'm telling you this, if I were Bruce Arians, I would tell him, hey, Antonio, start wearing a mask. And and again, you you know, you've got you've got to look for what's important for the entire team.
2: It's funny because multiple reporters yesterday just passing along the the conclusion being asserted by Antonio Brown's lawyer, Sean Burstyn, that, hey, I asked Antonio Brown if he's vaccinated and he said yes. Well, that just settles it. Why are we bothering anybody? If he says yes, then his Come on. But there is a possibility. There is a possibility. Once he got wind of the shakedown and go read Rick Stroud's story. It's fascinating because Stephen Ruiz, the chef who allegedly got shafted out of ten thousand dollars instead of suing the guy, engaged a Hollywood fixer who didn't didn't ask anybody for any money, just. Telling people there's this story out there about issues with vaccination cards. I'm not asking for money. That would be extortion, but I want to know what you want to do to fix this. What in the hell are you talking about? So uh, it, it once you catch wind, if you're Antonio Brown, of that, you know what you do? You get your ass vaccinated. So you can say, I'm vaccinated. But still, Peter, back to your point. The original card has a date on it, a place, and a lot number that quite possibly doesn't correspond with Antonio Brown getting a shot that day, that place, from that batch, even if he got vaccinated later. That's the issue here. Doesn't matter if he's vaccinated now, and he very well may be. That doesn't erase the fact that you had a fake card, that you were operating among your teammates who actually are vaccinated as if you are when you aren't in danger. Hey, Bruce Arians should be as pissed about this as anyone. He is a three-time cancer survivor and at enhanced risk of complications from COVID, no matter how many shots he's gotten. And he's got his guys who are And they're all vaccinated. Don't have to worry about it. 100%. It's fine. Everyone in the pool. We're good. No masks. No protocols. We're 100%. Well, maybe you're not. And the question is, how many others? How many others have been walking around that facility without masks on this year? claiming to be vaccinated but not when it's that easy to come up with a vaccination card that on inspection shows no irregularities
0: hey mike i had a head coach in the nfl about two weeks ago when we were talking about i just in passing said to him how's covid going how's your protocol going and everything because i i had been alerted to the fact that every either general manager or club president every week has to sign a dot has to sign a document saying, we are, uh, you know, we are basically, we are complying with every COVID protocol that the NFL has put out there. So I said, how's it going? And he goes, hey, listen, he goes, it's like I told the players. And I've told the players who didn't want to get the vaccine, most of whom now have gotten the vaccine. I said, you know, from the time you've been in team sports, There have been rules that you think suck, absolutely suck. And here is a rule that I think you probably think is a lousy, stupid, idiotic rule. And you don't want to comply with it. But the question is, is it worth not complying with? Is that really worth it? Do you want to risk your livelihood to not comply with this? And, and he said, that has been my point to all these players said, you know, if you test positive and if you give it to a bunch of people on the team and we have to forfeit, you're going to be responsible, even though this is an outlier for 53 people, not getting paid for a game, you know, because we won't play the game. And, and I realize that is a rash part of it. This, that's an extreme case but it's possible. And especially now, the Green Bay Packers have to live with the fact that their unvaccinated quarterback didn't play in a game that you and I and anybody who never watched a football game before would say, hey, if they even had a semi-competent quarterback playing in that game, they would have won by two touchdowns. So they got to live with the fact that, and again, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it is significant in your business, they got to live with the fact that they might not win home field in the playoffs because their quarterback wasn't vaccinated. So it's one of those things, Mike, that you if if you don't get vaccinated, you basically are imperiling your team and you have to decide if that's worth it. And for Antonio Brown,
2: because this issue of a fake vaccine card would be potentially reviewable and discipline available under the personal conduct policy his status as a repeat offender could put him in a position where he gets an even more stringent punishment than he would have if he wasn't a repeat offender he was suspended eight games last year after multiple off-field incidents one last point peter no matter what the nfl does here this is another illustration of how the nfl is far more reactive than proactive Because now that we know about this issue publicly, never mind the fact that the rumors of fake vaccination cards have been ricocheting around the grapevine all season long. So the NFL, I think at some points on notice of the possibility they have to do something now that it's a thing. If it had never been a thing, they would have never done anything about it. And I go back to Aaron Rodgers. He would still be showing up for two press conferences a week. With no mask on, the NFL would know about it and not be doing a damn thing about it. It only became a thing when he tested positive. And then, ho, ho, we got to do something. I don't get that aspect of the way that 345 Park Avenue operates. They react. They don't proact. And how many other things like this are out there that they could be nipping in the bud before it ever becomes something that tarnishes the shield. We've had two of them in the last 16 days now. Between Aaron Rodgers and Antonio Brown, both would have been preventable if the league had simply been proactive instead of reactive. Let's take a break. And when we return, a proactive look at one of the best games of Week 11 Dallas Cowboys at the team that used to be the Dallas Texans, which is now the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live.
1: Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.